and welcome to the second season of Seize the Day with Jim and Winston. We're talking about lots of interesting stuff today. Creativity, conformity, benefits and cons, doing something versus nothing, actions versus action versus inaction. Yeah, that's right, Jim. Can you believe it? It's the second season already. Man, we, we've done something great here. I'm, I'm surprised CBC hasn't called us yet. <laughs> I think they're just hitting the busy number because there's so many people clambering at the, <laughs> clambering for our attention. But you know what? They can figure us out. They'll figure it out. 1-800-JIM-AND-WINSTON. <laughs> and you know, I got the great compliment the other day. Uh, I had a friend listen to our podcast says, you guys are like Larry and Willie in the old days, you know? <laughs> yeah, this is like our new improved version. But yeah, today our topic stems around creativity. It just seemed to hit the nail on the head today, hey? Oh, and it, you know, it was really uh, quite, uh, we were we were having a quick uh, setup chat on, on where were we where we were going to go today. And, and Winston brought up creativity and I told him, wow, we... My wife and I just had a great discussion about creativity and how fun it would be to get more of that in your work life. And it was kind of, uh, I don't know, a twilight zone moment there. <laughs> Minds meeting kind of a thing. Yeah, no kidding. There's a certain serendipity to the whole thing, which reminds me, I got to send you that movie. <laughs> I was going to buy it in a DVD and send it over to you, buddy. But, you know, we were talking about that last episode. Um, in terms of creativity, um, let's talk about the value of creativity on a day-to-day -day basis, Jim. What do you think? Oh, I think creativity, you know, it's kind of like doing yoga or meditation or whatever. I think when you get into a creative um, mindset or activity, your, your mind goes to a whole nother plane, for lack of a better term. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and you, you, you're... You, you know, when you're in a creative space, you know, time doesn't seem to really matter all, all that much. No, that's when you're doing what you love. I, I find that's very true, Jim. When you're a creative and you're um, at, your, uh, at your peak of your interest of, of doing anything, you're, it no longer feels like work anymore. You know, you're, you're just in this sort of little wave of, of emotion that kind of draws you. Like you watch Lang Lang when he's playing the piano. Oh my God, right? The guy feels like he's just possessed with piano-ness. <laughs> oh, and you know, anybody in, in music, you know, they get into, you know, just a whole different, uh, some guys close their eyes, you know, it, it's just all over the map, but you can tell their, their mind is in a whole other space. And you know, you know, one of my favorite TV shows when I was a kid was watching MacGyver. You know how MacGyver, if though for those of you who haven't watched the show, it's about a guy who seems to take little common day things and get out of uh, impossible jams. And he'll like take a beer can or whatever and turn it into a rocket. <laughs> it, it's kind of like a combination hybrid of A-Team with, you know, with uh, Mr. T and, um, and just kind of like a, uh, like a everyday man's James Bond kind of thing, you know? Yeah, you, it's funny you bring that up. I've had this thought, you know, something that I think would be a fun thing to do is get a bunch of kind of building materials together and get three different groups of people, same number, three people in a team or four or two or whatever, and the same set of tools and say, you know what, let's just have a fun competition and build 
build something. And at the end of the day, we'll see what we all came up with. Yeah. No, I got you on that one. I mean, you know, when we think about um, advancements in technology, I had this um, talk with my daughter recently. You know, she was talking about the value of arts versus sciences. And, uh, you know, <laughs> that could be a whole topic on its own. But since she's going to university, the topic became that the general consensus seemed to be before she got into university that there was more value in sciences than arts. And the reason why that was portrayed was because they have a lot of these new STEM grants, you know, in education, you know, science, technology, and engineering, and all the things. And I said, you know, just because people are valuing that more because it's kind of the flavor of the flavored of the decade, so to speak, because we're trying to make future advancements, doesn't mean that arts don't play a huge role in those developments. For example, you may be holding on to a fancy new iPhone that has computing capacity of one of our old computers, but the thing is that um, that design of that phone wouldn't have sold very well if it had no artistic function to it. You know, so whoever came up with the design, and you know, probably credit Steve Jobs for part of that, but um, thought about the ergonomics and the artistic nature of it before they thought about the whole architecture and design. You know, I mean, I mean, in terms of the sense that if it was just a mechanical hammer and you had to carry this thing around and it was ugly looking, you probably wouldn't carry it, no matter how much it functioned. <laughs> you, you know, uh, something I used to really enjoy doing back in the days of turntables and cassette decks. Oh yeah, was was making up a kind of a themed or uh, you know a, a a mix that that fit together through you know recording a certain song on an album onto the cassette, then making that mix. Right. And you always had a lot of time to think about the next song because, you know, it had to play through. Right, right. So, you know, you're, you're kind of, well, that's playing, you're figuring out which album you're grabbing next and on and on and on, like that kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I really, really enjoyed doing that. It took a bit of time, you know, obviously. But now, you know, when you go into your... Uh, into your music folders on your computer, you just kind of scroll down your main menu and, and you, you make playlists. And it takes a tenth of the time. Oh, I know. And no longer are you busy making like uh, uh, music mixes. You can just drag and drop and rearrange them any way you want. Y yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, it's even with technology, it's still the same thing at the end of the day, right? When right. you listen to it? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, maybe you, you've got to do a little bit more uh, quick thinking mm -hmm. or faster cre creativity to figure out what that next song is that fits with the one you just put down and things like that. And you may have a whole idea of what you're trying to do over the whole playlist. Mm -hmm. And it, it's still a really creative, enjoyable experience. Right. It's just different technologies and different amounts of time and... The beauty of the playlist is if, you know, it doesn't really work out that much. What have you spent? You haven't bought a cassette, have you? True <laughs> <laughs> <Cheer it> up. <laughs> yeah, you haven't done much, have you? Yeah. That's what's the amazing part. You know, I mean, the technology has taken us to a point where everything is so convenient that um, we almost take it for granted. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just that I'm thinking about creativity from so many different angles today. I mean, there's times when I when I think about um, 
uh, how this whole process works. And, you know, you, you think about the creative process, and um, most of the time it starts off very simply. Um, you know, it could be that, that decision to, instead of sitting in your cubicle for lunch, going out for a walk, and then kind of observing your environment, and then coming out with a million dollar idea. Uh, I'll give you a good one that I heard recently, Jim. You'll like this. There was a, there was a lady that was in the newspaper, um, and apparently she was having problems with her bowels when she was a, a little younger. And so what she did is she actually went to um, a doctor, and he said, well, it's funny, in North America, we just you know use the regular toilet, potty, and then we try to go when we're not feeling well. But what happens is that that doesn't always work. So he suggested that she raise her legs up a bit, elevate them, and then that way the, the gravity would help a little bit and a little bit of pressure. So what did she do? She and her husband um, decided to use this technique and it worked. So they decided, um, they actually designed a, sort of like a squatter's potty type thing that would go on the side of your toilet so to raise your legs up and it actually helped the process. She went and got some funding to make the mold and now they sold a, I don't know how many million of these things now. <laughs> yeah, I think they were on Shark Tank. Yeah, they were on Shark Tank. And I thought like, wow, who's gonna buy this thing? But I mean, the reason why I didn't think much of it was because like in Eastern society, they already kind of do that, but they just use it with a hole in the ground, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like a squatter's potty kind of thing, right? Well, it's funny you say that, but you know, there's a guy out there who's a big proponent of, and he's a strength and conditioning coach for NFL teams, and and he's a big proponent of of squatting right. as an exercise because at the end of the day, if you do it regularly, mm -hmm. it helps you be regular. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> so it's, it's, it, it may not be the act you're looking for at the time, but if you do that, if you do squats, then it will help with your bodily functions. Yeah, and it's funny, I was just Googling it on Amazon. It's got 2,653 customer reviews and four and a half stars. And this is like inspiration, and everybody's gonna say, well, why didn't I think of that? All it is is a, it's basically uh, like a little booster stool, right? Yeah. Nothing fancy about it in, in a lot of sense, but hey, it's the difference between taking your creativity and doing something with it rather than sitting on the fence, or in this case, sitting on the potty. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a zinger right there, Jim. We try to keep it interesting, though. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, creative creativity comes in many, many uh, forms. Yeah, no, <laughs> I could say another word, no. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? You can fill out a lot. No, no crap there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, now we're going to talk a little bit about conformity. Um, conformity is an interesting topic about the values of pros and cons of conforming at times. I mean, I think there is value in conforming. Other like otherwise, like I said, certain times that you'd be driving on the street, people would run red lights all the time. You know? Yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll stay with the traffic analogy. What's yeah, the yeah. safest speed of to travel on the road? With the flow of traffic. Bingo. Yeah, and that's and, the thing. and it's the it's also the fastest. It is, it is. If you try to go above or below that, it causes too many problems for everybody. Yeah, yes indeed. And, and that's the problem a lot of times. You know, um, there is a certain value. I think some, there's a negative connotation to conformity. But the thing is that there's certain things that work well, 
let's try to do a line dance without conforming. <laughs> that would that would be some weird crooked line for sure, and that wouldn't work too well, you know. But I tell you, there's something about line dancing that keeps us in line. And <laughs> and even if you're thinking about being a general in a war, for example, right? I mean, not that I'm promoting that, but I'm saying that there is a certain amount of protocol required in order for things to go well. If everybody had that that key button to the nuclear warhead and they just jumped the gun and hit the button, that wouldn't be very good. There has to be some level of protocol there, right? Yeah, I, I think this was in Outliers, in Malcolm Gladwell's book. Right. But he talked about a, a guy that was a retired U.S. general and they enlisted him to um, for a mock uh, war game against oh, yeah. the U.S. military. Uh-huh. And, you know, they were expecting, okay, this guy's going to do all the classic military moves that today's technology allows him to do. Right. No, he stepped back. He used uh, pinafore signaling, uh, couriers with notes, um, other surveillance and observation, uh, old school methodologies and, and a bunch of old school methodologies. And he ended up winning the practice war. Wow. <laughs> Because he did everything that, from a military perspective, was not conformity at the time. Interesting. I love it. That's a great example, Jim. Because yeah. That you know, they had to go redo the war game, and they didn't put him in charge the second time, and they won, and, and then boasted about how well, how, how strong the U.S. Army was. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is that, that's what it is. I mean, there's value in conformity, but there's also predictability in conformity, right? Yeah, and you know, just to link this back to uh, creativity, that general was very, very creative in what he did. Yeah, you'd think that in his environment of, of his occupation, it wouldn't be creative, but he took it, his um, the base knowledge of what he had and turned it into a creative venture, which is impressive. Yeah, and, and you know, maybe. Um, you, is it possible to be creative within conformity? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is definitely possible to be creative in conformity. Because, um, for example, sometimes parameters, limiting parameters, actually make people work harder and actually, you know, um, beat the odds. For example, if you know um, that you're stuck within a parameter of having to do something at a, at a set amount of time, there's two things that will happen. If I said to you, Jim, you got to write me a 20-page essay in two hours, you probably wouldn't be um, wasting too much time on the grammar. You'd be interested in putting down the, the ideas, so at least you'd get it completed, you know? Yeah, as a, as a, as a, <laughs> as a closet author, <laughs> I, I, I don't worry about uh, grammar when I write, and then that's part of the editorial process. Right. And I get it. I mean, I totally get it because for myself, um, it also trying to write my, my book and everything, I find that every time I get stumped is because I, I self-judge myself on, oh, wow, this is like, it's got to be edited a bit more. But then I find my best writing is the ones that are, aren't even edited at all, actually. Because it's not, the creativity flow gets stemmed when we talk about the practicality. Creativity doesn't always have to be practical. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's very easy to fall into that trap that you want things perfect, uh, but the reality is there is no perfect when it comes to art or creative ventures. It's like if you go up to a painting and you think, wow, they should have put 
an extra blot of, of blue paint on that because it looks so much better. Well, that's great that you would do it, but that wasn't the intention of the original artist. Yeah, yeah, that's... It... <laughs> It could be I, I think in the art world, there's there's some intention, or I don't, you know, one person's art is another person's um, <laughs> obscenity. I don't know. Call it what you will. Yeah. Yeah. You know, art art is so subjective. Yeah, I mean, I've been to art galleries where you see that token token joke happen in real life, where you're looking at a like a white canvas and a and a round dot on it or something, and people gazing on it as if it was the best thing since sliced bread, right? <laughs> yeah. And you, you sort of stand there and you start thinking, what are they, What do we see here? We see a, a white piece of canvas and, um, and a blue dot in a circle. And you, everybody's thinking the same thing. I could have done that, but the difference <laughs> is... But they, they didn't. <laughs> but they didn't. So therefore, I guess you could say that that in itself is art, the salesmanship to get that thing on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, I'm not knocking it. I think it's all cool if um, if people enjoy it, and I'm sure there's value in it. It's just like you said, art is subjective, creativity is subjective, and that's what makes it kind of wonderful, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you, you, it, you ever it, been in one of those like um, night markets and things where you see a hodgepodge of this or that, where you're wondering who's gonna buy this thing? And eventually, somebody usually does if it's priced right or if it catches the eye of somebody who's in a creative mood, per se, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, from a creativity standpoint, um, my wife would like to get into welding. Right, yeah, you were telling for, me that. For yeah. metal art. Yeah. Right, so now I'm walking home from work and I kind of go through a little bit of an industrial area and, you know, I've found three or four things just kind of lying on the shoulder of the road in the gravel that I, I would have never looked at before and thought anything of and look at it and pick it up and say, oh, that might have some use in some creative way with the Colleen's welding stuff. So, you know, I, I pick it up and bring it home now. <laughs> yeah, well, I tell you, that's love right there. Yeah. Well, if, if the bin gets too big, right? <laughs> yeah. And if it's not getting used, I can get 20 bucks for it in scrap metal. So... <laughs> and, yeah, if you start towing every like uh, every uh, car on the side of the road back home, that's I'm sure your wife is gonna love you for that. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't, I don't think her her uh, her metal art's gonna get quite that big, so I, I I'm not pursuing those uh, those size objects. <laughs> oh, okay, I hear you. I hear you. Well, you know, uh, let's uh, go on to like um, doing something versus doing nothing. That's talking about basically. Uh, taking a chance or doing something versus like just observing. Like, I, I'm I'm kind of twofold on this. There there's value in doing nothing at times, and there's value in doing something. Yes, and I'm just gonna throw this out there, Winston. Yeah. Sometimes doing nothing is conformity. Right. So you know you don't or you're not doing something different. You know, right. so in a way you're doing nothing, but. Mm -hmm. uh, but I completely agree. I, I think the act of doing nothing can actually be doing something. Yeah, no, I agree. And Because nothing is what's required. Right. Sometimes, like you were saying in an earlier example before we recorded this, is that you know you, you watched uh, operators kind of go overboard and do more than they did needed to do when uh, a parameter was off by a little bit and they'd watch it and try to make a correction to correct for it. But it's like chasing a moving target. 
sometimes you just have to let things be. Yeah, and, and see if it goes out of, you know, with, you know, if you've got a, a line of, uh, a target line. Yeah. And then if you go outside that target line, an equal amount of distance to say, here's the acceptable zone that things live within that target line. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, the time to make an action is when it steps outside that acceptable zone. But as long as it stays within that acceptable zone, Leave it alone, doing right? nothing or yeah. inaction is the correct thing to do. Right. Not overstepping the boundary of... Yeah, yeah. Not trying to do what the software in the instrumentation is designed to do. Right. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I think we, a lot of times, they, those are just the error bars of life. I mean, for example, you know how we all live in the error bars of life. For example, if you look in the mirror today and say, wow, I had looked in the mirror so carefully for a while and I noticed that I've gained five pounds, right? You know, and it's now over the limit of what I'm willing to accept. That's your error bar. I mean, your error bar might be 20 pounds or, or 80 pounds or whatever it is before you do something, but that's the error bar of life where... There's, a, there's value in doing nothing and letting things go, and there's also value in doing something and, um, and taking action, a corrective action as necessary, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, there, I've seen a few people that feel that they have to act on everything that comes into their sphere of existence. Right. And, you know, we saw a guy recently who talked about stress management. Okay, cool. And one of the things he said in, in his stress management philosophy was relating it to the serenity prayer, which I don't really know exactly how it goes, but essentially it, it says, give me the wisdom to know the things I can change and to accept the things I cannot. Right, yeah. that You're on the money, buddy. Yeah, so... You know, some people are tilting at windmills trying to change what they cannot. Yeah. And they're stress, you know, they're living a really high stress life. And you just learn to say that that goes in the column, and this is exactly how we put it, of things I can't change. So why am I putting any energy into it? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, there's been many times um, in life I've sort of seen scenarios where things solve themselves. I'll give you a scenario. I sell equipment. And many times I'll get calls uh, to help fix something. And that's not an unusual call. That'll be a regular day call. And um, I've noticed over the years, I've done this for almost two decades now, um, and I, that if I respond too quickly sometimes, depending on the client, I will actually do them a disservice because they won't learn to actually fix the problem on their own. They will become very dependent on on contacting me in order to solve the problem. And initially, that's not a problem because they want good customer service, which I provide. Um, but there are times when people have to struggle through a little bit, and you have to do nothing and resist the temptation of jumping in to allow people to learn. And what has happened lately, I've noticed, is that if I leave people the space to try to tackle things on their own, they'll only call me when it's a real problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost exactly. like training a child in a sense because, you know, when a child comes to you and, she, and they cry every time something goes wrong, um, the problem is that, you know, it becomes like a cry wolf thing where you don't know which time it's, it's serious and which time is just kind of a casual inconvenience. Yeah, I, I was kind of thinking about the learning to walk process. And, right. And if, 
if you try not to let your child fall, mm-hmm. they'll probably never really learn to walk that fast because it's the falling and getting up and starting over that's probably where the most learning goes on. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think there's more learning in failing sometimes, unfortunately. Uh, and the thing is that there's a stigma to failing and not getting things right the first time. We're very big in the society of getting things right the first time and rewarding people that do. You know? Like, well, but how many people get it right the first time? That, that's such a flawed way of thinking. I know. And yet our whole society is based on who comes first. You know, like, sec- you know, second. But, you know, the truth is that sometimes the second mouse gets the cheese. Somebody's the pioneer, but it may be this guy that comes second that adopts the technology or otherwise that gets the benefit of the initial pioneer's efforts, right? Yeah, yeah. There's been many products developed for one thing, but ended up being used for something else and being very successful. Post-it notes is one of them. Yeah, where it was designed to be like uh, something that would never come off as a glue and then yeah. turned out to be an ideal product for being restickable. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, moving on to uh, action versus inaction. Um, what do you think of that, Jim? I mean, are there times where it's better to take no action, basically on the do-nothing principle, and um, versus taking action? Oh, absolutely. Inaction, um, conscious inaction. Yeah. Because you know that if you do something, you could actually make things worse right. or not have the result that you want. Right. And, and in action with observation, mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of formulating you know, what might be required if you do need to act and if things turn around and go the right way. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's, some, there's some thinking going on in in action. Very true. I'll tell you something, uh, an interesting story, because people like stories. Um, When I was younger, uh, and my daughter was younger then, um, I was having a very stressful day, I remember, and I was trying to to list off some of the things that I had to do today to my daughter, who was not that sympathetic, because she was only caring about the component that involved her, (laughs) (laughs) which is pretty normal for a a child. And... um, you know, I was saying, oh, I got to go to the bank, then I got to go to just drop this box off, then I got to go downtown, then I got to come back and drive you somewhere, then we got to come home, then we got to cook, then we got to go do this and go to sleep. And she's going, I, I said, I don't even know how I can do all this. And she goes, Dad, just stop. And I thought, wow, just stop. How can I stop? I got this to do, that to do. I can't do it all. If I don't do it now, I'll have to do it tomorrow. And she goes, no, just stop. And I, I didn't take it as like an offensive stop. She just said, just stop and do what you can. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, she's not saying drop everything and just be a hermit. She's saying, you know, stop and smell the roses. Stop and do the things that matter and prioritize. And I learned something from a recent uh, business seminar, Jim. It's kind of useful. And it said, before you make a to-do list, make a to-be list. And, um, you know, I'll credit Colin Sprague's seminar for that. But... Um, the reason why they say to do uh, to be list is it's more important to find out who you want to be in your life than what you have to do in your life because you'll reprioritize your to-do list based on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
you know that that uh, what you want to be is a is a is a lifelong question for some. Yeah, exactly. But let's say, for example, your dream is to be an author, right? Yes. And that's well, your primary life term goal, and you've got a list of ten things to do today. One is feed the dog, walk the dog, <laughs> uh, go to the grocery store, pick up some some beets, and um, and then somewhere down that list, it's like write a page out of my book. Now, if you're really serious about your goal and who you want to be, you should probably bump up that last thing about writing a page out of your book higher on the list. Otherwise, all those other other nice things to do will always take the priority because you haven't prioritized them. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I hear the, a common uh, excuse that I had to be the one to do this. Did you? I mean, were you the only one that could really mow the lawn? Because I actually, I, I'm very happy to tell you that I gave up that need. Um, I found these great gardeners uh, for a reasonable price that mow my lawn every two weeks throughout the year until, until it hits winter. And my wife was saying to me, she goes, I know you like the exercise of mowing the lawn, but the reality is you actually don't enjoy it that much. I said, that's true. But I think that it'd be giving up something that I identify with if I quit, if I stop doing this thing. And she said, well, there's other forms of exercise, you know, than just mowing the lawn. And it's a frustrating thing. Not only do you have to mow the lawn, you got to put the grass away and dump the grass. And it's a very long process. I would say for me to mow our lawn with the size that we have, you know, in and out is maybe an hour of, of mowing. But then there's the putting away the grass and clean up and cleaning the mower afterwards. It's, it works out to be at least a two hour event, right? Wow, you're lucky. Mine takes, if I do the whole yard, I'm uh, into at least four hours. <laughs> wow. So, and, and that for that case, it may not be economical to, to sum that out, right? <laughs> <laughs> but if you have a riding lawnmower, it might help a little. But do you have a riding lawnmower, Jim? No, I don't. No. Yeah. So, my, the point of my story was that there's things and times in life where you need to take action and grab the bull by the horns and do all these activities. But then, I've done it long enough to appreciate what it's like to have it. And now I've realized that I've done it long enough to appreciate not having to do it. <laughs> and I quite enjoy not doing it, Jim. <laughs> well, sometimes I need to get a better lawn because uh, not enough topsoil was put down and I could go on to all the reasons why the grass isn't the way it should be. But if I can get it to a point, I like to use a real mower. Right. No motor. I can do it at 6.30 or 7 in the morning and not disturb a soul. Yeah, that's cool. You mean the push mowers, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I have had that, you know, a portion of the yard that, that is in the in the real mower zone. But I'd like to have the whole whole yard in that real mower zone. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I enjoy doing that sort of thing at 6.30 or 7 in the morning. You know, on a summer's day, right? Mm-hmm. It's cooler it's you know give you don't have to you know in the middle of the day where you may want to be going for a swim you're not worried about the lawn you know all those things right right uh, and often you know that's something you can do before work so you know I, I consider our yard to have like basically three components to when it comes to cutting the grass so if I would do that three mornings in a week where it took me 15 minutes to 30 minutes each time to do that mm -hmm. it's it's done for the week. I've gotten some exercise to start the day. And the rest of the day is mine. <laughs> true enough. True enough. That's a good point. So, yeah, it, it, that's the thing. That, that has to do with also pacing too, right? Doing a little bit each day and getting to a goal. And it's like taking baby steps to get to your, your, uh, 
ultimate destination. And lots of times we try to take on too much in too little of a time. And I'll give you an example. You know, there's an example given that I read in a book once. It said, you know, if somebody asks you how many how many push-ups can you do, the, uh, the the most common answer is like, oh, I can do ten, I can do twenty, because you're assuming the person's giving you a time parameter as how many can you do in a row. But the question wasn't how many you can do in a row. The question was how many push-ups can you do. So the truth is that most of us can probably do five to ten push-ups, no problem, in a row, and then we stop and we huff and puff and we call it a day. Then our arms hurt and our legs hurt and then we, we need a cup of coffee. <laughs> but the truth is, that's not all you can do. You can actually stop for five minutes after that or maybe an hour after that and go back at it and do another five. And you can stop another hour and do another five. So in a given day, you might be able to do 20 or 30 or 40 push-ups, actually. But we automatically assume that when people ask us how much we can do, they're meaning right now. And majority of the time, you're right. They are asking you how many you can do right now. But it's because we set that limit on our life and on the parameters that people ask us that we make these assumptions that aren't actually accurate. Yeah. I've, I've made this bet a few times. I saw this when I was probably 18 and a guy play a trick on somebody, right? Yeah. So I'll, I'll make this bet once in a while. You know, I'll say to somebody, I'll race you for $100. Did they jump out the kid? They'll be really excited about it because, you know, and carrying too much weight and I've got a fake hip and on and on it goes, right? Yeah. But nowhere in that bet that I say I would win, I just said I'd race you. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. I love it. You would race them, but you didn't guarantee it. <laughs> I didn't say anything about winning. <laughs> well, isn't that a play on words? <laughs> Yeah, you just gotta, you know, present the idea, and some people really, you know, they'll, That's you know, you'll, you'll go to hand them a cookie and they'll bite your arm off at the shoulder, you know. I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, be yeah. careful what you ask for. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that's pretty amazing. I mean, today was all on talk about creativity as a whole, right? And I think we did a pretty marvelous job of talking about it, don't you think? Oh sure, we could we could spend hours and hours and hours on creativity, but today's podcast is a bit of a rapid fire, and, and it's great to jump between subjects and relate them back and forth. So yeah, Jim and yeah. I, Jim and I have been doing this for a little while now, and I, I'm so excited that we're in our second season, Jim. It's quite an accomplishment. If I had a had something to cheers you with, I would right now. I have to do <laughs> I have to do a fake pinging of the. Water bottles right here. There we go. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like one of the great joys of life to have a friend like Jim. And I tell you, you know, couldn't, I wouldn't want to do this podcast with anyone else the same way, you know? Couldn't agree more, Winston. Well, brother, I think we did a good job today. And uh, I think our listeners seized the day by just listening to this podcast for this episode. It's our uh, uh, debut second season. And thank you for joining us and making the first season so successful. And we hope we don't let you down in the next one. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. Goodbye to everybody, and Winston, have a great day. Yeah, you too, bud, and we'll seize the day again next month.